What a scene. You, you got to climb into the story and just imagine what all is going on here. This is a, quite a scene. It's a showdown on the mountain. This is like a heavyweight bout. You, you got all the people of Israel, the whole country, the whole nation has gathered together for this showdown. And in one corner, you have Elijah representing the one prophet of the one true and living God. He's, he, he thinks he's the only prophet at this time, but he's, he's this one man standing over here representing the one true Jehovah God. And in the other corner, you have the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal. And you, you may have grown up your whole life saying it Baal. It, it's literally pronounced Baal, but you can say it any way you want. He's fake. He doesn't care. It, it doesn't matter. So the 450 prophets of Baal, and there's this showdown. We're going to determine who's God. I mean, there's all the people are there to watch the showdown. Somewhere in the back, Michael Buffer's like, let's get ready to rumble. Like, that's what's going down in this story. It's, it's an amazing picture. And let's back up a little bit and make sure you understand what's going on. The, the people of God have, have, have gone astray. In fact, the kingdom has divided. There's two kingdoms now. They couldn't get along after Solomon. And so there's a, a northern kingdom that's known as Israel, and there's a southern kingdom that's known as Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, they were in all kinds of trouble all the time. Their kings continually led them into idolatry, led them into sin, led them into wickedness. It, it, was, it was absolutely horrible in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. Not a whole lot better. Most of the kings seem to do the same thing, lead the people in the wrong direction. But every now and then, you'd have a king that would turn the hearts back to the people. So maybe a little bit better in Judah. But everybody's kind of in trouble. There's punishment coming from Babylon eventually. Like, that's what's going on. And this story, the setting is the northern kingdom of Israel. And the king at this time is a guy named Ahab. And Ahab, what it says in the Bible about him is that he was worse than all the other kings before him. So all the kings were bad, all the kings were wicked, all the kings were evil, and he was worse. And one of the things that he did that was worse is he went and got a wife from another country. Her name is Jezebel, and she might have actually been worse than him. But together, it's, it's horrific. They are such a um, wicked ruling party. Like the, the, the king and queen are so wicked. When, when he get, went and married Jezebel, she brought the worship of Baal to this kingdom, and she brought these prophets, these 450 prophets and other 400 prophets of Asher, like she brought all this idolatry and worship and the king begins to worship all and worship at these altars and all the people begin to follow the leadership of the king. All this is going, going on. And God's man, Elijah, is appointed by God to speak for him. He's a prophet. And so Elijah first steps onto the scene when God tells him to go to Ahab and tell him that there's not going to be rain. That is punishment for their idolatry and their wickedness and their sin. He's, God's going to withhold rain. And he says, tell him that there's not going to be rain until you say so, Elijah. So Elijah comes and says, Ahab, there's not going to be rain in the land until I say there's going to be rain in the land. And then Elijah goes and hides. So that confrontation, like there's, there's punishment coming for your sin and disobedience, and there's, not going to, there's going to be a drought in the land. And that drought lasted three and a half years. Not one drop of rain, not even dew on the ground for three and a half years. And we've, we learn as we read in the story that Ahab that whole time was looking for Elijah. He blamed him for everything. He was trying to get him. He, he was... Man, Elijah has caused this problem. He's the one who said there's going to be drought, there's no rain. Even Ahab, as the king, was out looking uh, in the wilderness to find any kind of grass where he could feed his animals. Like, there's just a severe drought. And so Elijah became Israel's most wanted. 
He's, he's number one on the list of people that they want to track down, but through that whole process, that whole three and a half years, God was protecting Elijah. God was providing for Elijah. The story's pretty significant in itself that God told him to go camp out by this brook named Cherith, and he went and camped out by that brook, and so he's got water to drink from the brook, and then God sends ravens to feed him which is crazy to think about, but he says, ravens came in the morning and brought him bread and meat, and then they came again in the evening and brought him bread and meat. And so Elijah's just camping out by this brook. He's got water, he's got food, he's got everything he needs. He's hidden, he's protected by God, and he's just, he could probably stay there forever. But then the drought is still raging, and the water's drying up, and eventually the brook dries up. And God tells Elijah he's going to have to move on. He can't stay if there's no water. So he says, those ravens are going to feed you never more. So you're going to have to keep on moving. Some, some English lit nerds with me. Okay, ravens and never more. Look it up later. So he moves on to a widow's house. There's some crazy stuff that happens there. After three and a half years, God speaks to Elijah and says, it's, I'm going to send rain. So go talk to Ahab. And so Elijah gets up, he's obedient to the Lord, and he goes and finds Ahab. As he comes to find him, it says here in chapter 18, verse 17, it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab's blaming Elijah for this, when it's really his sin that's caused this. And Elijah turns that back on him real fast. I have not, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, your father's house. You have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you followed the balls. And so Elijah says, this is, this is not my fault. I'm not the troubler of Israel. You're the troubler. As the king, you're the troubler of Israel. You've led the people into idolatry. You've led the people into sin. And so you've, you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you've started worshiping a false god, an idol. And so this is all because of you. Ahab doesn't want to admit that. He wants to blame somebody else, which reminds us that a lot of times we're the same way. We don't want to embrace the consequences for our own sin and repent and turn from it. We want to point fingers at someone else, but Ahab doesn't have that confession and repentance in his, in his repertoire. So Elijah says, hey, get all the people, all the nation, and get, meet me at Mount Carmel. Oh, and bring all the prophets, all those prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asher, the 450, the 400, bring them up there, and we're going to figure out who is really God. And so all the people assemble at the top of this mountain, the Mount Carmel. The whole nation's there to watch. And as they all assemble, as they all get there, all the, the, the heavyweight bout's about to take place, Elijah walks up to the people of Israel, and he addresses them. And I want you to look at this. Uh, keep your Bibles open to 1 Kings 18. In verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. I, I love the way he says this. I love the challenge that he presents. It stuck with me all week as I was preparing this. I was thinking through this. I was thinking about this passage. How long are you going to go limping between two opinions? It's such an interesting image. Say, you're, you're, you're wanting to worship Baal, and you're wanting to pray to him and ask him for things, and then you run back over here, and you want to worship the one true and living God because you have this law and these commandments and these sacrifices, and you're, you're wavering between two opinions. And he says, it's like you're limping. It's like you, you can't walk straight. Like you can't, 
Your, your life will never make sense as long as you're doing that. Like you can't limp between two opinions and hit your stride. Following the two different gods, trying to go back and forth like that, it's lame. Like you're, you're not going to ever find what you're really looking for when you continue to run to the false gods. And so he's challenged them. <laughs> How long? How long will you do this? How long will you run to Baal for some things and run back to God for others? It's interesting that Baal was known as the storm god. He was known as the god who brings storms, thunder, lightning, rain. And they've been in a drought for three and a half years. So you know they've been praying to him. They've been calling out to him. They've been crying out to Baal. And he hasn't answered. So maybe sometimes they go, well, that didn't work. Let's run back over to Jehovah God and pray to him and ask him. God hasn't been answering them because of their disobedience, because of their limping between two different opinions. And it was so clear and so obvious in this culture that they would go worship at this altar and then go worship at that altar. And it may not be as clear and obvious in our culture in our day, but it's, it's the same. We continually run to things that can never satisfy us looking for things that only God can give us. We continue to Look for our purpose and our meaning and our significance and our security and our satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, all the things. We look to things and statuses and relationships and all these other things, even though God's the only one that can give us that. And it's like we're limping between two opinions. We run over here and think, oh, no, this is what will really satisfy me. And then we feel, oh, that didn't satisfy me. So then we run back to God. It's like we're limping. We're, we'll never hit our stride. And so Elijah puts this challenge before them. He says, hey, you, you guys, you need to decide. If, if the Lord God, Jehovah God, if he's God, then follow him. And if you think that Baal will, will give you what you need, that he's your God, then by all means, go follow him. But stop playing the game. Stop going back and forth between these two opinions. Stop limping like that. And he's setting the whole challenge up to kind of show them who God really is, the one true and living God. He set the whole challenge up to expose Baal as a fake. And this, this challenge for them is a challenge for us, it's a challenge for people in any generation. It's a challenge that you see all throughout Scripture. Moses, after the golden calf incident, he's so angry with the people, and he says, hey, if you're on the Lord's side, come over to me. Gather over here. De declare your allegiance. Come over here if you're going to be on the Lord's side. If you want to worship golden calves and things like that, stay over there. But if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to make a choice. Where are you gonna, who are you going to follow? It's, Jesus shows up and he says, you can't, you can't serve two masters. It'll never work. It, it'll, you'll never find your meaning. You'll never find your purpose. And Elijah's setting this up to show, hey, if God is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. But stop wavering between two things. It's this reminder, if the Lord is God, we will follow him alone. If the Lord is really God, we'll follow him. And we'll only follow him. We won't continually run after things that can't satisfy us, that can't fulfill us, that can't give us what we're looking for. We do that all the time, but when, when we understand who the Lord is and that he's really God, he's really got all the power, he's really in control, he's, he's the creator God, when we understand that, we'll stop running after these things and we'll run back and we'll stay as a follower of him. If the Lord is God, we will follow him alone. And Elijah's saying, I want to show you that you're wasting your worship over here. I want to show you that your prayers will never be answered by Baal because he's not a God. And if he was, then by all means, follow him. But if you understand, if you see today that the Lord is God, then you should follow him. 
And he's exposing Baal as a fake. Psalm 96 verses 4 and 5 say it this way. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. Which if you just stop right there, you're like, wait, are there really other gods? And he's just the greatest one? He's to be feared above all gods? But look at verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples, they're just worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. All the gods that the people were worshiping, they, were, they weren't gods. They were idols. They were images. They were fakes. They were frauds. They couldn't answer. It's like the psalmist in, I think it's Psalm 133 says, these, these idols of the nations, these false gods, they have ears, but they can't hear the prayers of the people. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have hands, but they can't do anything for their people. Like, they're fakes. He's exposing them. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Maybe for us in our culture, we ought to say it this way. All the idols of our nation are worthless gods. All the idols of our nation, all the idols of our heart, our heart we keep letting idols creep into our heart and we keep pursuing other things, looking for meaning and significance and other things. All those idols are worthless gods. They'll never get us what, what we're looking for. No matter how many times we chase after those things, they'll never fulfill those promises. Because they're, they're worthless gods. They, they, they're fake gods. And Elijah's exposing that because he wants them to see that. So well, the problem for us is that when we, when we start thinking that we'll find these ultimate things in something that's not God, is that we all of a sudden we have to, we have to make sacrifices. We have to do everything that we can to attain that or reach that goal. And, and so we begin to we begin to serve that thing. I got to get that, so I'll do whatever it takes to get that. Because if I get that, then my life will make sense. Then I'll have fulfillment. Then I'll have purpose. And so we serve those things in order to attain those things. We, we begin to follow those things. We begin to pursue those things above everything else. We begin to worship those things. And what we find is that it's always a dead end. It, it will never fulfill the promise that we thought it was making to us. And guys, listen to me. The sooner you and I get this, the more your life will make sense. The sooner you get this truth. I, I, I wish every preteen could get this now, that you would know that there's nothing over here, there's nothing other than God that will ever give you the fulfillment, purpose, meaning, satisfaction, security, significance that you're looking for. It'll never happen. Those are all dead ends. The sooner you get that, if you're in fourth or fifth grade, that you get that and then you'll follow him above everything else. Your life will then make sense. You'll, you'll find purpose and meaning. You'll find what you're really looking for. I wish every middle school student would get that truth before they get into high school. I wish every high school student would get that truth, that that won't ever satisfy. Before you get into college, every college student, before you begin adulting, like you would get this truth that nothing else will ever satisfy you. And Elijah's setting this whole thing up to kind of show nothing will ever satisfy you like God. He is the one true and living God. If he's God, you should follow him at all costs for all, all time, no matter what you leave behind. And that's the whole purpose of this, of what, it, what it looks like. And so he sets up the scene where he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two bulls, and you guys are going to make an altar to your God, Baal, and you're going to slaughter the bull, cut him up in pieces, put some wood on the altar, put the bull on the uh, altar, and then you're going to pray to your God. And I'm going to pray to my God. And whichever God sends the fire, he's the real God. Now, don't miss this, because Elijah's putting God at a disadvantage, so to speak, because he's letting them go first. You understand, this is a sudden death scenario. 
literally. This is not whoever brings the biggest fire. This is the first God to produce fire is obviously the real God. And so they're praying to the storm God who should have the ability, if he's really the storm God, to send lightning, fire, and everything, right? And so he's giving them the ball first. He's giving them the chance to go first. And so he's putting himself in a disadvantage. In a sudden death, you, you don't ever kick. You always take the ball. You always take offense. So he says, I'll let you guys go first. Show. Show us that ball is really God. Let him send fire. He's exposing the fake that Baal is. He's exposing the waste of their worship on these things, on this false God. And so he says, I'll let you guys go first. And so then they begin to pray. And they begin to call out to Baal. And they begin to chant. They begin to sing. They begin to stomp. They begin to dance. They, they begin to wail. They're doing everything they can. For hours, they're calling out with no response, no answer. And it says here, and I want, I want you to read this with me. I, want, I'm, I don't want you to think I'm making this up. In verse 27, it says, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud or cry louder, for he's a God. And then he says, either he's musing, which that means maybe he's deep in thought. He's just distracted. He says, or, or he's relieving himself, and I'll let you figure out what that means. And, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Call, call out, or he's, maybe he's, he's just out of town. He hadn't heard you yet. He's asleep. <laughs> he's going to the bathroom. Like Elijah's mocking him. The, a commentator that I read this week said that Elijah's using holy sarcasm, and that unlocked a new level for me. <laughs> I was like, Holy sarcasm, this is great. Like, I always thought that was my spiritual gift anyway, so this is going to be great. And in the moment, I was like, these are the days of Elijah. They're here. (laughs) He's mocking him, mocking the fake God. He's mocking the prophets of God. Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. It seems unnecessary to use that word. Until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Two silences in this story. Hey, are you going to follow God or are you going to follow Baal? If if God's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And they didn't answer. They didn't know. I don't know where my allegiance is. I don't know who I can trust. I don't know who I should worship. I don't know who I should pray to. A deafening silence. Just as deafening while all this racket's going on, all the people are chanting and screaming and cutting themselves and wailing, calling out to Baal. But there is no answer. There is no response. No one's paying attention because that, he's not a real God. He's a fake God. And after all this, Elijah says, okay, people, come here. In verse 36, it says, At the time of this offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. The prophets of Baal prayed for maybe six hours with no response. And Elijah prays for less than a minute. It doesn't take much. Our God is always listening. He's always ready. And look at what happens after this prayer. 
Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. He had set up 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel around this and the dust and he licked up the water. He had drenched the whole sacrifice with water so there was a trench around it and the trench was full of water. He had set God up at an even further disadvantage and even the water was gone. He eliminated all doubt that this was this would only be the work of God when the fire consumed everything in that moment. <laughs> it must have been quite a display. Fireworks by the coast. Verse 39, and when the, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They were overwhelmed in that moment. They saw, they, they understood, oh, he's the real God. And they worshiped him. They fell on their faces and they worshiped him. If the Lord is God, we will worship him in awe of him. If he's really God, if he's really got that kind of power, if he's really in control, if he's really in charge, if he's really that great, we'll be in awe of him and it'll lead us to worship him. And I know this is true because if we're not in awe of God, we'll worship something else. If we're not in awe of God, we'll find something else in the world that we're in awe of and we'll pursue that and value that and treasure that and find, hope to find our meaning and purpose in that instead of God. We'll always drift away if we're not in awe of him. So we need, we need to fight to be in awe of him. And you, you don't need fire from heaven to do that. What you really just need, you and I need, is a daily dose of the gospel. Because the gospel is awesome. The gospel reminds us that we were hopeless and cut off and we had no chance of ever being with God. But Jesus, because of his love for us, because of his grace, his mercy, his kindness, he took on flesh. God's son lived a perfect, sinless life and then took our place on the cross, taking the punishment that we should have had to take, paying the penalty for sin that you and I couldn't pay. And he brought us back to God. He made us right with God. We were hopeless and cut off and now we're part of his family forever because of what Jesus did, and guys, that is a story filled with awe. And the more we remember that, the more we remind ourselves of that story, the more we sing the songs of that story together, the more the awe continues to be in front of us. And when we're in awe of him, we'll worship him, we'll follow him. We won't drift because we know he's the greatest. Look at who he is and what he's done for us. That, that awe leads us to worship him. And so this whole story, Elijah was setting it all up. The whole showdown, the whole scene is to show them balls of fake. He's never going to give you what you need. Stop worshiping him and come back and follow God. Stop worshiping Baal and come back and worship the one true and living God. But there's another thread in this story that I think is really important. It, it kind of gets overlooked because it's such a big story. So much stuff is going on. I mean, it's one of the greatest stories ever told. But throughout the story, here's what you see Elijah doing over and over and over again. Praying. The whole story begins with him praying and God speaking to him and saying, hey, go do this. He's, he's praying for his needs. He's praying, it tells us, for the rain to not come, even though God said it wasn't going to come. Right after the story, they, they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah says, Ahab, the rain's coming. I can hear it coming. Go get ready. And then Elijah doesn't just sit and watch. He goes on the other side of the mountain, and he begins to just pray fervently that God will send the rain. God promised and just told him, I'm sending the rain, and there's Elijah praying for rain. 
In fact, he prays so long and so hard that he keeps sending a servant out to a viewpoint where he can see if there's a cloud coming. And six times he goes without any cloud and he comes back and Elijah just keeps praying harder. And the seventh time he says, oh, there's a little bit of a cloud. And Elijah, goes, Elijah says, okay, it's coming. Let's go. Elijah is a man of prayer. Throughout his story, he's praying, 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 praying. <laughs> you go, man, Elijah has so much power, so much boldness, so much confidence. Like, look at how God's using him. And it's so easy to ignore that what the source of his power was his prayer life. The source of his strength and his confidence was how he was praying. Now he's relying on God. He was trusting in God. He was recognizing, I can't do this. God's going to do this. Just because I said rain's coming doesn't mean it's going to come unless I pray and ask God to do it. Only God can do these things. It's just a reminder throughout this story, if the Lord is God, we'll rely on him through prayer. I say that and I'm I'm so worried that you're just going to dismiss it. Because you've heard us say it before. You've heard people say it before. You know it's true. But God's power comes to us through prayer. The blessing of God comes to his people through prayer. And if we really believe he's God, we will rely on him through prayer. When we pray, we're confessing that I can't do this. I I can't figure this out. I need help, which is hard for us. We're Americans. We don't like doing that. But when we, when we understand that he's God, he has all the power, he has all the resources, everything's his. He has the ability to do anything that he wants. He's in control of everything. When we really understand that, then we'll be people of prayer. We will go to him first instead of last. We'll go to him continually going, God, I need help. You're the only one that can help me. Please do this. Even things that he's promised us that we would pray for those things, knowing that if he doesn't do it, it won't happen. It's so easy for us to ignore this. It's so easy for us to to miss this. In James, when James is talking about prayer, he he talks about Elijah. He connects us to Elijah, and it's helpful because Elijah seems like a superhero. James 5, he says, Therefore, confess your sins, this is verse 16, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person, that's not someone who's righteous on their own, but someone who... God is declared righteous because of Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. It's effective. And then look at this, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us, with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When we pray, God listens. When we pray, God responds. He's chosen to respond to his people when his people pray. I don't know why he chose to do it that way, but that's what he chose to do. So why don't we pray? Why don't we go to him over and over? Why don't we start every single day with acknowledgement? I can't do this, God, but you can. Please do it through me. I, I need this. Will you please help me? Why don't we start our days like that? Maybe because it's not as exciting as everything else in the story. Philip Rikens, one of the commentators I was looking at this week, and he said it this way, let's be honest. Prayer does not sound very exciting to us. We're ready to go up to the mountain with Elijah. We're ready to confront the people of Israel. We're ready to mock the prophets of all. We're ready to see the fire of God, and we're ready to fall on our faces and worship God. Perhaps we're even ready to put sin to death. But are we ready to pray? Because that's where God works. All the other stuff that you saw Elijah do is because of how much he relied on God through prayer. We we need to be a people 
that rely on him. We pray to him. We ask him for everything. We constantly come. The, the New Testament, Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Because for many of us, we're not people of prayer. We don't rely on him. We're expecting him to do big things, and he wants us to pray. Which is a reminder that as the story goes on after this, Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal, and Jezebel, not so happy about that. And Elijah, I mean, he was brave on top of the mountain, but when he heard Jezebel's after him because she gets the word out, I'm coming after Elijah, he's not so brave anymore. That woman's scary. And he runs, and he hides in the wilderness, and he's, he's ready to give up. The strong Elijah's ready to give up, and he tells God, just take my life from me. Like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And God moves him from there to the same mountain that God met Moses on. And on top of that mountain, he puts him in this cave. It actually says the cave. It might be the same cave that Moses was in. And God says, I'm going I'm to pass before you like he did with Moses. And then a mighty wind came through. And that wind was so strong, it was blowing rocks off the side of the mountain. It was tearing the mountain up. It was a super strong wind. But God wasn't in the wind. And after that, an earthquake happened. It shook the mountain. It shook everything. It was like it's an earthquake. And it says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then after that, fire came. And Elijah just saw the fire, so he knows like, that God's in the fire, right? It says, no, God wasn't in the fire. And then after the wind and the earthquake and the fire, it says that God spoke in a whisper. The King James says a still, small voice of God. And that's when Elijah heard him. That's when he recognized him. <laughs> We don't need a fire uh, display on the top of a mountain. What we need is to be faithful, to open God's word and let, us, let him speak to us in his whisper. We need to be faithful to pray and rely on him and let him lead us and guide us as we pray through his whisper. <laughs> we need to gather together on a regular basis to be reminded of the awesome power of our God and sing these songs and sit under this teaching because I can hear his voice in that whisper. And so let's be faithful to it. Let's be faithful to follow him in those small faithful things, praying and studying God's word and being in community and gathering with his people. That's how he speaks to us. God is God. He's the only one that can satisfy us. And if you know that, let's follow him. If you know that, let's worship him. If you know that, let's rely on him through prayer. Would you pray with me right now? And uh, I'm going to ask you to pray. Not out loud, just where you are, just... You came in here with some needs. Have you, have you presented them to God? You, you came in here with some struggles, some situations in your life. Have you asked him for help? I mean, it's so easy for me to forget and move forward and think, oh, I can figure this out. I got a network. And I'm going to ask you just for a few moments, right where you're sitting, just to present your needs to God. Confess that you can't do it without him, that you rely on his strength and his resources and his help. Would you just tell him that right now? Just go ahead. Just pray. God, I need you. I can't do this without you. And then ask him to help you. Is it a situation? Is it a circumstance? Is it a relationship? Is it a, a decision? 
Is it something you're lacking that you need? Ask Him to help you. Rely on Him through prayer. Because He's the only one that really can. And trust His answers. Sometimes it's not right now. Sometimes it's wait. And sometimes it's yes, I'm so glad you finally asked. God, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you for the truth of who you are. I want to thank you for the awesome power displayed in the gospel story of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection that is our only hope. God, help us today, maybe in a, in a fresh way, to see that you are God. and Help us to follow you and worship you and rely on you because of it. God, there, there, there may be people in the room right now that they're not sure of who you are, not sure they really want to follow you. They keep, they keep trying to find what they're looking for in other things. And God, just like in this story, you would turn their hearts to you. Would you do that today? God, there's so many needs in this room. Would you, would you meet us at the point of need with your provision, your care, your love, and your plan? And God, I pray that you would do that for your glory as we call out to you. And it would be our joy as you answer us and fulfill every need that we have. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.